Welcome, welcome, welcome again to another wonderful episode of the Diaspora Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Osio. I have an amazing guest with me. You know, I always have amazing guests, people who've turned their passion into profit or into side hustle, into entrepreneurship, and they are kind of living the life. You know, that's why we bring them to you for practical tips, um, strategies, and how their mental, how their mind worked when they're into this, uh, into the process of moving from passion into profit. See, my guest today, she spent the better part of a decade as a social worker. She got a degree in social work and about a year ago, which is like 18 months ago, she left that career to pursue her business goals. And now she owns two companies as a business consulting company and also launched the private therapy practice which helps therapies in Utah, in the US. Well, she also has um, an event planning business. She, 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 she's multi-talented, let's say that. But without, without saying too much, I present to you Kate Shepanga. How are you, Kate? I'm good, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. You know, I'm very excited when I, when I speak to entrepreneurs like you, when I speak to people who are courageous like yourself, who go after what they want. Oof, it is, I know it is not easy, it is really tough, and, but only for the brave. So you went after it. How are you, Kate? How are you? How are you doing today? Doing really great. Been very, very busy, especially this last week. So uh, kind of juggling both of the companies, but as you said, it's, it's definitely worth it and it's my passion. So it's been, it's been going well. Yeah, that is the thing. It is definitely worth it. At the beginning, was it? Was it? Was it worth it? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think it took uh, just kind of ripping the band-aid off and just making the decision mm -hmm. to start. Uh, and, you know, I think with, I, with that mindset switching, it all just kind of fell into place. And so it really immediately started to give back to me. And so it made it 100% worth it. Even with all the challenges, it definitely... It's been, it's been a journey and an awesome one so far. Yeah, you know, you know, speaking to hundreds of entrepreneurs right now, and uh, for those who are listening to me for the first time, who are watching us, who are on this podcast for the very first time, sometimes while I speak to would-be entrepreneurs or people who want to, they always think that maybe it is for certain kind of people. I know I said only for the brave, but we all have that innate boldness within us if we just like rip the bandit off like you said so and we always think that oh my background is different from yours so my struggles are not your struggles so you can easily go and do that just to put this into context can you just tell us just a little bit about yourself uh yeah so uh i grew up here in salt lake city utah in the united states and uh i am actually the child of a social worker and so from uh, childhood, uh, I really developed a passion for social work, particularly working with adolescents and children in child welfare. Uh, and uh, I did pursue that, as you said in your intro, I got my degree, my bachelor's in social work, uh, and then I got my SSW, which is a social service worker, and I uh, continued that career for several years after that. And I found myself being put into uh, director positions and leadership positions at a pretty young age, right after graduating with my with my degree. 
And, um, you know, I was able to find a balance between the social work uh, and working face-to-face -face with my clients and the administrative side of things and operations for the facilities that I was running. Uh, and just found that I had, a, I had a pretty good balance for both. Um, and uh, there was a time about a, about a two year period that I did burnout. So one major thing with social work is burnout is huge. <laughs> uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of people uh, every day and uh, you know, you are absorbing a lot of that trauma and helping them work through it. And, uh, and I did, I, I just had to take a step back. And during that time, I decided to go into catering, something entirely different, uh, and the food uh, service industry, and just ended up loving it. Uh, so I just ended up loving the event space, uh, planning events. I loved the details, the you know having to just rush, go, 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 um, which was actually quite similar to <laughs> my career as a social worker because it was always putting out fires, always having to adjust. Um, but I did make the decision ultimately to go back uh, to my career as a social worker uh, for about two years. And during that time, uh, I managed a, a team and I had been doing this throughout my whole career, but I was managing a team of about 10 different therapists. And what I saw was that, uh, I mean, I'm not sure how familiar you are with social work, but we don't tend to make a lot of money and there is a potential to make a lot of money. And so I did see a lot of my uh, coworkers, team members and friends, uh, you know, struggle financially when they had the potential of making so much more, even with a side hustle as a private practice practitioner. And so uh, at this time, I was still working my uh, nine to five, which really honestly was actually about 6 a.m. to, you know, 7 p.m. job, uh, to be fair. And uh, my best friend, who is an amazing, amazing therapist, Lenny Anderson, she is an LCSW, uh, she wanted to step into private practice. And she was my clinical director, I was the administrative director. And so um, I took that upon myself and launched her business from start to finish, built her website, uh, you know, learned all those skills uh, during that time. And that's when I started to realize that I could be doing this for others. And so I started offering that service to other therapists that I knew, because from my perspective, when it comes to entrepreneurship is that even if it's on the side, do it, you know, it's what, what harm could it do? I mean, with the tax system and everything, you got to file some extra paperwork and things, but really, uh, I, I just try to instill in those around me, the understanding that, you know what, even if this doesn't make you millions of dollars, it still is going to bring you joy, happiness, and you can help a lot of other people additionally to your other job. Absolutely. And, you know, as that process went on, I uh, started getting more and more busy and more and more business and starting to realize that that need was greater. Uh, and then I started to have people approach me for consulting advice. So it became- Were you still, were you, were you still at work as a then? Or you've- worked? Yeah. So at this point, at the very end, so about the last month of my job is when this things were really, really picking up. So I was trying to juggle both, uh, but I did end up giving a one month notice to my job. And that's, I mean, that was that fear-based thing, you know, that like ripping the bandaid off. I was just, I was like, you know, a month, you know, just in case. And, you know, about three weeks into that notice, I just kind of realized like, if I'm going to really do this, 
And if it's, if it's really going to become a stable income source and something that brings me joy and, uh, you know, that helps people, I've just got to, I've got to just be done. And I've just got to pull that bandaid off. Uh, and so after that, I gave it about that last week, I told my then boss, Hey, you know, I found my replacement. I've trained that replacement. It's time for me to go. And yeah, within the next week I was done. <laughs> I was done at my job. <laughs> I just want to ask you this, like a two, a two way question. One is how did you give your notice? Because I've spoken to a couple of entrepreneurs when they gave their notice, they, some of them, it was high drama. Why so? It was still the fear base. So was yours high drama? Were you, was there mashing bands? Were there like, or you just went in and just like skipped the letter through and said, so how did you, how did you do that? Uh, it's a fantastic question. Um, yes, it was very high drama. Uh, I tried not to make it that way, but because of my position in that company, uh, we were a small mental health agency and my boss at the time, uh, we were very close. Uh, but she also uh, had kind of an extreme reaction, which I was expecting, but it was pretty dramatic. It was a lot of, un, I mean, I want this to sound horrible. There was a lot of begging, a lot of counter-offering, a lot of bar like bargaining with me to stay. Um, and so it almost became uh, supporting, I mean, it was kind of my role was extending as a social worker because it became supporting her through the acceptance process. And I would even say the stages of grief uh, mm. to get her through that. And then same with my staff, you know, my, I was there and still am, but I was very, very close to my coworkers. And, uh, you know, and I really, my favorite part of my job, besides working with my kiddos and my parents, my favorite part of my job was being able to support my staff because we were a day treatment facility. So our kiddos were there all day. And we would be in their homes every week and we would be doing family therapy with them and providing all those services. And, uh, it's, it was very high stress. And so, you know, I would have my, my staff members in my office. I had an open door policy. So pretty much I always had somebody in my office crying, needing support, needing advice, some guidance. And I really enjoyed that. And so that was really hard. They, they didn't cause much drama. That was, that was more <laughs> on the side of myself and my boss, but, um, yeah, it wasn't an easy transition, which was also part of the reason why I gave uh, that one month notice instead of two weeks. Yeah, to make yeah. sure that everyone was taken care of and that everybody could go through that transition a little bit more smoothly. Yeah, well, then, then the next question was, how did you position yourself for you to get that first client that you just did? It for? How did you position yourself? Oh, I kind of flew by the seat of my pants. Um, and I still feel like sometimes I do that. Uh, it really, I was very fortunate that my marketing, uh, was mostly word of mouth at that point. And I didn't have to go and seek out business as much as say my other company, my events planning company. Um, I was very well known in the social work community. Um, I had worked for child protective services over here, uh, at a time. I had also worked as the director of a domestic violence shelter, I had worked with adults with disabilities, uh, and this was all during that time I was trying to figure out what I wanted to land on as a specialty. And then, as of course, in you know all of those different positions, all involved the court system here, all involved uh, again like child protective services and all these other sister agencies. And so, when it was uh, 
you know, made public that this was something that I was doing and I was offering this as a service, it, it moved very quickly. And I, I surprised, amazingly my phone and my email, I was just getting, it was blowing up pretty much, I would say almost immediately. Um, and you know, it was, it was really humbling to see, uh, these individuals who are reaching out to me that I have always looked up to, cause I'm, I'm not a therapist. And so I've got my bachelor's degree and, you know, these people who had their master's degrees, PhDs, some had medical degrees as psychologists and psychiatrists. Uh, it was really humbling to see that they also, you know, struggled with some of the administrative stuff, you know, they struggled with some of that structure, uh, and also had the anxiety that we all feel, you know, going into business for ourselves saying, you know, that imposter syndrome of saying, can I do it? And, yeah. and so it was cool because even through this coaching and consulting side of things, uh, I still practice social work every day because I'm managing my clients' anxieties. Uh, and so that's been really nice too, is just being able to still do what I really do love while also making my dreams come true. It's yeah, you, know, you, you know, you know, earlier when you were, when you were like talking a little bit about yourself, you were saying, you said, um, if I know about how social workers work, they work very long hours and the pay does not really match the level of effort that they put into it. But you said something that made me talk about vision. You, you, you said there is a lot they can earn more doing something on the side so how do you how do you how do you see those 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 things that are not actually there but you saw that they can actually do more if they apply themselves into if it's a side so how do you how do you see that um well i think i just saw the examples around me so i've had i have seen uh people throughout time they're not like friends of mine directly now they are but people who have launched their own private practices as being a side gig. And then eventually as time goes on, they're able to move into it full time. And so I had some pretty solid examples to then be able to present to my clients to say, hey, look, this is a real thing. And the coolest part about that is that the, uh, you know, Lenny Anderson, who I spoke about earlier, my, my best friend, she uh, she's now my main example for all of my clients to show them That's that like you can case, try. Yeah, like a like, case study. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and then like, I was there every step of the way. I'm still there every step of the way. And that's the cool thing to be like, this isn't just a narrative, you know, that you're reading to help pump you up. It's like, this is real life. And mm -hmm. it's like, this is something that can be done. And it's, and it really does. And I just tell them every time, like, you know, it's about accepting the fact that this is going to cause you anxiety, accepting the fact that there is going to be more on your plate than there was before, you know, because now you're dealing with paying yourself and taxes and self-employment and employees and all these other things. But at the end of the day, it's like, I promise it'll be worth it. And I can show them the numbers, be like, this is what private practice looks like. And I always encourage my clients to don't even, don't even mess with insurance because it's not going to pay you. Always stay with private pay. And again, I have an example to show we're completely private pay and we are doing amazingly at this practice. And so can you. And so I think that helps with people's vision. And again, that imposter syndrome and some of that anxiety is to be like, yeah, this, is, this isn't just something you're reading online or watching on TV or watching an interview. This is somebody that you know and you've known for a long time showing you that it's possible. Yeah, and you mentioned, and you also mentioned that you, did you get um, 
your first you, you first you have to like get examples mm -hmm. because those are those 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 are what some of the things that are keeping people from moving forward because it's the thing that oh I don't have any example I don't have any case story how can I how can I do this and also did you did you get paid for the first the first your case study right now you get paid for that uh yeah so eventually yes but uh the first we just came up with the money out of our own pockets uh for registration fees and with websites and with insurance and all of everything like that um and same with me you know we have a pretty solid deal in place that i just take a percentage of what she bills um and that's worked out really well but my other clients i just do a flat fee and my <laughs> Uh, a good friend of mine who does, he's the director of operations for some pretty high tech uh, or like high, highly known tech companies. He always tells me that I'm undercharging because I do have that soft spot for social workers where I'm like, I will not overcharge them, which I know is not great from a business perspective, but I kind of go, these are my people. And the reason why I went into this was because of I have the passion to see these people that do so much good in the world and it's so thankless. They put in so much energy and so much of themselves into this and get very little back. I'm like, I'm not gonna be that person that takes so much from them. So uh yeah, and I mean yeah, I, could, I, could, I could relate with that because I have I have cousins and um, friends and family members who are into healthcare and I consult for the um as an IT um, consultant for the National Health Services in the UK. So I know quite a few people who are into social services, social workers, care workers. They, love, they work mad hours, even nurses as well. They work, they work some really, really ridiculous hours, 13, 14 hours a day. They get burnt out. And I could see why you, why, why you have a soft spot for them, saying that, you know, these are my people. Yeah. Yeah, and they are, and that's the thing with social workers in general. And obviously, this isn't the rule, uh, but in my experience, the vast majority of the social workers, the hundreds upon hundreds that I've worked with over time, uh, they, I mean, they just they went into this field because they recognize their own trauma and their own past experiences that impacted them as adults, and they want to be able to help others navigate that journey. And that's just from the goodness of their heart, and because I, I mean, they are getting squeezed. I mean, I was their boss and I, I know how much they made and it was nowhere near what they should be. You know, it's, and we can have that same conversation about teachers and, you know, a bunch of different types of professions. But uh, I, yeah, I feel very comfortable as much as people tell me, hey, you should increase your prices. I feel really comfortable where I'm at. <laughs> um, and also I think it helps with getting that consistent business because there's that trust in there that, yeah, I'm not going to just be hiking up my prices all the time or, you know, hiding little things here and there. It's decided upon, you know, exactly what to expect uh, and take it or leave it. And I've been very fortunate that pretty much everyone I've worked with has taken it. And so, you know, that's helped to build my business to where, yeah, I can do this. I mean, I, this is all I do. This and my event planning business, I've got the two and this is just what I get to do. And it's awesome to wake up every day and have my list of being like, these are the people I get to help today, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned you mentioned ripping the bandaid off and going forward, just um, handing in your resignation, giving them some time, some drama. 
and you had to like create, um, not create, train replacement for yourself at work. And before you you left there, now you are your own boss. So how is it? Is it is it worth it? Is it was it what you expected? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it took me a long time to adjust, uh, a lot longer than what I expected. So uh, you you do always have this idea of being like, if I could just work for myself and I could do whatever I want, uh, it's just going to be peaches and cream and it's going to be awesome and I'm just going to you know just love it. Uh, I would say it took me probably the first six months or so to really feel genuinely comfortable with it. And uh, it was more of managing my time, I think, which because I had had a person dictate my time uh, so much where all of a sudden, and weirdly enough, I, I now have gained back a lot more time. You would think as a business owner, uh, you know, it's like, oh, you're busy all the time, but I really had a lot more spare time on my hands. And I was so used to being like, I have to fill that with something. It, it wasn't, it was a tough transition for me. And I yeah. actually sought out quite a bit of guidance and support from other entrepreneurs, even like through Facebook groups to just say, how do you guys navigate that? And did anybody else have that experience? Cause I felt really weird about it. I'm like, I should just be able to jump in and just say, oh, this is awesome. And I don't feel stressed about the fact that, Hey, I actually have caught up on all of my work and maybe I can just go to like lunch for the next two hours with my friend, instead of being like, I have 30 minutes to eat at my desk and just get more work done. Uh, and I think that was the most challenging part, but since I've adjusted to it, it's hundred percent worth it. And again, like I said, there's some additional responsibilities, but mm -hmm. My best advice to entrepreneurs and people who are new to that space yeah, is yeah. definitely uh, an accountant is your greatest advocate. It's like hire an accountant because the majority of the stress that you're going to have is going to be on the things that you don't know, like filing taxes, state taxes, federal taxes, uh, all of those deadlines, things like that, that are really scary. And that's, I think, what helped me adjust to all those things. I'm like, I don't have to worry about that. I can hire somebody who has been doing this for, you know, 40 years. Cause my accountant, Bob, he's amazing. Uh, but he's been doing this for 40 years. He is absolutely brilliant. He's very like, he communicates super well. And so that took so much of that off of my plate. And I think it helped me be able to transition a lot more smoothly, even though it took me quite a long time. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, yeah, then I was just like, oh, I, I don't have to worry about that stuff. So I'm not going to worry about not worrying about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know, because it, it, what made sense in what you just said was actually recognizing that, you know, that transition period, this is where most of, most entrepreneurs or just most side hustlers get overwhelmed and they freeze because they don't know where to go for support. So now that you've gone through that stage, what are the what are the actual advice or how did you actually go through or what, what advice would you give to someone who is on that spot right now? They just started, they are feeling overwhelmed because someone has been detecting their time for the past 10 years. You wake up at this time, you go to work at this time, you have lunch at this time, you do this at this time, you go back home at this time. Now you are doing all these things by yourself. How did you go through that, that, that hole? Uh, one was building in a new routine. So I would advise is that, you know, as soon as you, as soon as the honeymoon period, uh, 
you know, starts to fade because you do, you go through that first thing of going, wow, this is going to be, you know, popping champagne and vacations. It's not all the time. <laughs> um, uh, it's like, that's, that is a part of it. And that's why you work as hard as you do. Uh, but, you know, getting into that daily routine, because I found that uh, I lost some of those pieces that used to make me function super well at my job, because all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I don't need to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go to the gym. I can sleep in until seven. That's fine. And then go to the gym there and realizing I, I had to really listen to my body and my mind of saying, uh, actually I function better doing this because putting my routine behind then some days I wouldn't, I wouldn't meditate, which is another huge thing that I advise everybody to do is take even 15 minutes every day to cool down before you start your day. Don't think about work, listen to a guided meditation, something to just ground you. Um, but I, I found myself not, you know, just skipping that side of things. And, uh, then I just kind of find myself being like, I don't feel that motivated or I don't feel energized. Cause now it's like, I didn't, you know, I didn't work with how I know my brain works. So that'd be my first part of the advice is put in those routine pieces as quickly as possible. Get back to what you were doing before, as long as they were healthy, obviously. Um, and don't change that because you're still, you know, you can still look at it as your work day. You have much more flexibility, but it's like, if you know a system that works for your mind and your body gets you stimulated, gets you awake, gets you moving, keep doing those things. Uh, and I think the, the biggest part of the advice is just, you know, tr I know this is going to sound cliche, but it's cliche. Cause it's true is trust your intuition and trust your gut because Absolutely. your mind and your, yeah, your mind and your heart are super biased, uh, because it's like, you got too much logic going on here. And then you got too much feeling over here. But if you listen to your gut and continually remind yourself, like in a mantra to just say, everything's going to work out. It's like, and that you deserve being able to do this, you know, building your mantras of what helps again, ground you, uh, and trusting yourself because if you're going into business for the first time, especially if you do rip the bandaid off and you start to question what you've done, uh, it's really easy to fall apart and to start to spiral. But, um, you know, just knowing that you made this decision and you got this far for a reason, and you can keep pushing through and you are making the correct decisions or else you wouldn't have, you wouldn't be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much for that because I know that is a real struggle and the struggle is real. So it's not every time you pop champagne, but mm -hmm. it's worth it at the end. Once in a while you get a seat, which is good, mm -hmm. you know. And also um, what I would like to say, what I would like to ask you now is that going through all this how do you juggle being an entrepreneur right now with your actual personal life uh so my husband is super supportive uh and my family and friends so i think just having a solid support base that can help take care of those moments because everyone's going to have those moments of anxiety and those mini breakdowns of saying am i it's like how am i going to continue to do this you know and, you know, building your support system, uh, and this might sound harsh, but I'd say if there's a per, if there's anybody in your life that is, you know, not encouraging you to make those dreams come true, uh, obviously don't get yourself into a situation that you could be at risk, but it's like, you know what, 
if you've got this goal and you've got these um, aspirations and these things that you want to do, uh, surround yourself with the people who are going to support that. And also that have trust in you and know that you're capable of doing it. Because I mean, I think that was the, that really was the biggest thing for me. I mean, I, I was, I mean, I'm 30 now, so I was 28, you know, just out, just about to turn, you know, 29, but I was 28 when I started this process and it, you know, I think that so many of my supports could have said, Hey, you're still young, you know, just wait a couple more years uh, to do this because, you know, it's like build up your savings, do these things. Uh, but I didn't. And if I did have a person saying that, you know, I'd probably not, well, I wouldn't listen because <laughs> I'm a little defiant that way, but also I, you know, I wouldn't really want to be talking to that person as much. And so, you know, just find those people that do believe in you. Uh, because at the end of the day, you have nothing to prove, you know, it's like you, you are going to be capable. If you say that you're capable, you're going to be able to do something. If you say that you you're going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, you know, my favorite word on the planet, again, cliche, but my favorite, favorite thing is failure. And Hey, how did you fail today? Because it means that you're trying, you're working towards something and it's just opening the door to a new opportunity to figure something else out. And that's the fun thing is that, you know, yeah, we have a limited amount of time in our lives to get these things done, but really we have a lot of time to figure it out. And so, you know, you just keep trying, just keep doing it. Yeah. As we, as we, as, as we, as we move towards running up, you mentioned the words that I, about, I was about to ask you. Failure. We spoke, we've spoken about the form part. So now let's talk about, you know, failure. Mm -hmm. So have you failed? in any of your, and how did you bounce back? Or oh, how did yeah. you get over it? Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, prior to this, so uh, when I went back to my facility, the reason why I went back and stepped back into social work was that Lenny and I, uh, we had a third business partner, but we had plans to purchase this day treatment facility. And uh, I had been working on this since 2000, uh, let's see, 2017 to purchase this, getting investment, learning all of that stuff, which was a huge learning curve. It's like, how do you talk to investors? How do you, how do you do a pro forma? How do you do projections? How do you gather PLs? All of these things I had never had to consider and never had considered. And uh, unfortunately, our you know, former business partner uh, ended up uh, stealing a good chunk of our investment money. And after that, it was a it was a good two year lawsuit that we got into it with him, uh, and ultimately it worked out, and you know things things went in the direction that we wanted them to go, but that was devastating because he was a very trusted friend, especially to Lenny, and a person that we cared about, and we you know he was he was we thought he was a good guy, and that was a huge setback. Um, you know during that entire time it was, and we were still running our facility, which, and we fully knew we might not be able to purchase this now. And honestly, it was a blessing in disguise because when all of that happened, we had been so pumped up about, you know, buying this facility and we wanted it super bad. And we knew we could, we like, we're going to kill it. Uh, it's going to be awesome. And then when we were put into the role of being in charge, then we had it, it gave us more time to realize that that actually wasn't what either of us wanted. So even though it was a setback and it was pretty devastating at the time, 
Uh, and we thought our dreams were crushed at first. We're like, it's, it's over, it's done, you know, and what could we have done? We, you know, and then questioning ourselves being like, we trusted the wrong person. How, how can we trust ourselves going into our own businesses? If we can't, you know, we're the, we have no judgment of character, you know, and we never saw the signs or we ignored them, you know? And then ultimately just realizing, no, that, that was a failure. Absolutely. And it was one that was meant to happen because I would tell you right now, both Lenny and myself agree, we would be miserable owning that facility at this point because it wasn't our dream. And so, you know, that's why it was just further validation. That's like, you know what? Yeah. Things are going to be up and down. Uh, and same thing when I was about ready to launch moving mountains, my consulting firm was like, you know what, there's going to be ups and downs, but I I'm like, I feel like I just went through one of the worst things, you know, having to, uh, sue your business partner is a really bad feeling. And it just, and it sucks yeah. no matter what, but we did it. And that was super cool to be like, no, we are, it's like, we are, you know, we're perfectly capable. We're competent. We can, and it's like, and we can fight for what and stand up for what we believe in and what our value system is. And it's going to work out because we're just going with what the universe is putting in front of us and having trust in being like that these things are going to work out for the greatest good. And that also means that as long as we are on the up and up and we're being honest and we are treating others, you know, the way that you should treat others, mm-hmm. things are going to be fine. And they are. <laughs> Absolutely. I just love that story. I love that story. You know, things have a funny way of making sense after going through them. Have a funny way of making sense. Now, just um, just one more. See, if you know what you know now, if you had to go back and start all over again, brand new, before handing out your 30 days notice, what would you do differently? Um, I don't think anything. Honestly, I think the timing was right. And again, I just, I kept telling myself through the entire process, you've got, it's like, just trust your intuition. And I knew that my intuition was telling me that, okay, this is the, this is the right way to go. Um, but yeah, I think that even despite the reaction of my former boss, uh, you know, which again, very human reaction, it is what it is. And despite that, I think that, you know, I feel like I was able to leave uh, something that was so important to me and had been so had been so important to me for so long. I was able to leave it clean and and with not causing harm to anyone. So, you know, my, not only my staff, but also I had to transition a lot of clients, uh, do a lot of termination, uh, with them, you know, sessions to terminate and that I don't think I would, I would choose to do anything differently. Cause again, it, it worked out the way that it needed to. And even though it was a stressful process, cause again, there's a lot of, well, like unknowns when you do that, it, it's still, I look back and go, yep did it the right way and still maintained most of those relationships. And they, you know, and I, the, a lot of those people can still come to me for support and know that I'm still there for them. Um, and some of our clients also followed us to the private practice. And so, you know, I still get to where it's on I'm administration for it now, but um, so I'm not working with them one-on-one, but we still get to see our clients progress. Uh, you know, some that were really, you know, really, uh, you know, uh, therapeutically attached to us. 
so yeah, I don't think I would change anything. Okay, that is great. That is great. Thank you very much, Kate. Thank you so much. I think I've learned a lot from uh, from having this conversation with you, and I know our viewers would learn as well and give them the not just the validation but the the courage to just move forward with their dreams and turning their passion into into creating a sustainable source of income for themselves and their family as well. And um, yeah, if um, someone else wants to like continue this conversation, you're free to get in touch with Kate. And uh, Kate, where can they get in touch with you if someone wants to like continue this conversation and see things from your perspective? Uh, so you're free to email me. So that's, I mean, the easiest way to get a hold of me. So it's just Kate, so K-A-T-E at movemountainstogether.com. And yeah, I am happy to chat with any, uh, you know, potential and newly budding entrepreneurs. That's, it's so exciting. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to chat with some of your viewers. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I love that name, Moving Mountains Together. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. So um, guys, you've heard her, and uh, she's giving you some great advice, great suggestion, and some practical stuff. You don't need to like have everything figured out before you start moving towards the direction of your purpose. Just, you know, get use some common sense and just move forward. You have it all here on the Diaspora Entrepreneurs Podcast. And then Kate, thank you very much for your time. I know you're super busy. Thank you very much. And um, I'm grateful for this. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, thank you for the viewers for taking a listen and taking a look. So until next time, this is Victor, your Diaspora Chief. And I'll see you soon. Bye.